Every opportunity I had, I went to hear good preaching, good Bible teaching. Then before I knew it, I was doing some of the preaching. I was doing some of the teaching. So listen to good preachers. Listen to what they have to say and listen to how they say it. Now, I understand that some people are more gifted than other people, but God's not going to call anyone that he does not equip. If God calls you to go, he's going to give you the gas to get there. From Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute, this is the Level Paths Podcast. We're glad you've taken some time to join us. My name is Chris Weigel. Along Route 60 in Fayette County, West Virginia, there's a small town called Anstead. Anstead is home to some notable Civil War history, and like most small towns in West Virginia, it was a part of the late 1800s coal boom. But fast forward to 1936, when Dr. John Sullivan was born in Anstead. Dr. Sullivan wasn't raised in a Christian home, but he ended up the president of the Florida Southern Baptist Convention, and he has pastored in churches stretching from Arizona to Florida. On this Level Paths podcast, Rex and Dr. Matt talk with Dr. Sullivan about his remarkable career and ministry, and how a boy from Anstead, West Virginia, ended up doing what all he did. Here's Rex. Welcome to the Level Paths podcast. My name is Rex Howe. I serve as the president of Tri-State Bible College, and I also partner with my colleague, Dr. Matt Shamblin, in the Appalachian Ministry Institute at Tri-State Bible College. Matt, What's today looking like for you? Today has been busy. I've been here since in my office since 6 a.m. writing a sermon. We've got a great privilege of taking some time here with Dr. John Sullivan and talking to him about the impact of Appalachia on his incredible leadership. Dr. Sullivan is an institution in and of himself among Florida Baptists and Southern Baptists. Dr. Sullivan served 26 years as the executive director of the Florida Baptist Convention. He had served as the senior pastor of Broadmoor Baptist Church in Shreveport, Louisiana, a First Baptist Church of Sulphur Springs, Texas, and other churches in Texas and Arizona. Dr. Sullivan was an incredible blessing to me when I served as the interim executive director of the West Virginia Convention of Southern Baptist and always stood in awe of Dr. Sullivan. But there is something about Dr. Sullivan that we're going to explore a little bit here today, and that is his upbringing in Appalachia, particularly in Anstead, West Virginia. Anstead, West Virginia, if you're familiar with West Virginia, is the place of West Virginia in and around Hawks Nest State Park. And so, Dr. Sullivan, it is a joy to be with you today. I'm delighted to be with you, Matt. I hope I can be of help to some preachers. And well, that's what you've always done. I know uh, for years there was a partnership between the Great Florida Baptist Convention and the convention in West Virginia, and you always came and preached And we're going to explore Dr. Sullivan's preaching a little bit in this because he is an incredible preacher. After his retirement from service as the executive director of Florida Baptist, Dr. Sullivan then became the senior adults pastor at First Baptist Church of Jacksonville, Florida. And so, Dr. Sullivan, so how does a boy who was raised in Anstead, West Virginia, end up pastoring these great churches? and serving as the executive director of the Florida Baptist Convention. 
Well, you have to have some intelligence, number one. And number two, you have to have intelligence enough to know that you don't know everything, so you have to go to school. I think, above all else, I want this to come out right. Someone asked me recently, how do I get started in the music business? I said, well, the first thing you have to be able to sing. If you can't sing, you're not going to get along in the music business. So I feel the same way about ministry and where I've been and what I've done. Now, I would be untrue to my own conscience if I didn't tell you whatever's happened in my life is by the grace of God and the gratitude of other people. I found that in Appalachia, that can happen. It happened in my family. I had a good mother and father. We didn't do much church stuff. In fact, we didn't do any. I was not reared in a Christian home. Uh, The Bible was not a regular part of our routine. Sunday was not a regular part of our routine. As a teenage boy, I worked at a service station on Sundays. And so what I gained from my education in Appalachia is that sometimes you just have to recognize where you are in life and what God wants to do with you at that moment. I was very fortunate. I really had a good education, better than I thought at Anstead High School and elementary schools. I was well prepared for going to college, and that surprised me a little bit coming from West Virginia. I think it surprised everybody that knew I was from West Virginia, that uh, I had this kind of education. I had a principal, W.K. Vandal, who believed in me for some reason. We, we never were close associates or buddies, and he didn't, but he believed in me and recommended me for a job with the FBI right out of high school. They hired 2,000 high school graduates in a special program. And I was one of those. I was 17 years old, going to Washington, D.C. from Anston, West Virginia. You can imagine the trauma of that. And there I met, grew in love, and married Nancy Henson from Jonesboro, Arkansas, who was there for the same reason. She was one of those who were hired along with her twin sister. They were hired by the Bureau. So that became the encounter of life for me. Nancy led me to faith in Christ and to our absolute amazement. I was saved in August and God called me to preach in October. I hadn't finished the Gospel of John when he called me to preach. Now, one thing I did learn in Appalachia is you stay with it. You just stay with it until you get it done. My dad was a great believer that you stay with it until you get it done and it's done right. So my service, I guess, at these churches in part comes because God had given me the mind and I had taken the time going to college and seminary with a family. Nancy and I had a child when we enrolled in college. That was four years and then 11 years in seminary. That's 15 years of your life that you've given to desire to be all you can to other people. And so that's part of the reason, the rationale. But to answer your question specifically, I don't know how, other than the grace of God, I ever became executive director of the Florida Baptist Convention or of Broadmoor Baptist Church or of First Baptist Church, Sulphur Springs, Texas, a great and wonderful church at Broadmoor. 
we had such uh, growth that we had a hard time assimilating it at times. We couldn't keep enough space to accommodate the growth of the Sunday school. But God was good, and he let us build space. And I was there 14 years, and God blessed with growth all 14 years. I had good pulpit committees. <laughs> they knew what they wanted, and I was that. Well, I'm reminded as you approached retirement at the time, I'm, I'm not sure it's still there anymore, but at the time there was a Florida Baptist had a newspaper, the Florida Baptist Witness, and you published, I think it came out in two editions, 26 things that you learned over 26 years serving right. Florida Baptist. And there was a, almost a one line statement that has impacted me and I have repeated many times, and it's just a reflection of your wisdom. And that was, if you want to go around straightening everybody out, you shouldn't have been a preacher. You should be an undertaker. There you go. <laughs> I never believed God called me to straighten people out. God called me to preach the gospel that straightens people out. Amen. If you can't straighten them out with the gospel, they can't be straightened. Amen. So how have you seen ministry change from your time serving in Louisiana, Texas, Arizona, and now serving at First Baptist? Jacksonville. Time demand. There's more time demand on a preacher today than there's ever been. I will celebrate next month my 68th year of ministry. Time has become the most valuable commodity that I have. That's about all I have is time. I think the demands by people on time has been one of the greatest changes. The other change that I, I find is that a lot of young preachers don't want to go to small churches. I was happy just to get a place to preach. My first little church out in the desert averaged 11 in Sunday school, and three of those were us. But I got to preach twice on Sunday, and I'll forever be grateful for that. So I think the time demands on the preacher as much as anything else has been the changing thing. I don't want to sound critical of the new generation of pastors. That's, that's not who I am. But we need to know we're losing rural churches every year. We need to know somebody has to pastor those rural churches. I never felt out of place. Pastor. I went to the 27th Avenue Baptist Church in Phoenix, Arizona. The church was three years old, and I was the fourth pastor. So I never felt insecure. I had some folks around, and we grew every year. We had some growth, and uh, I left there to go to seminary. So I would simply challenge the young men. Pastoring a small church is not a bad thing. Pastoring a huge church is a horrible job. You work yourself to death until you find the right mix of staff, and then it gets a little easier. Until you find that right mix of staff, staff people will kill you. So you find that right mix of staff, and then you can move a little easier into things. I think it's time more than anything else. You were talking about the large church and this story. I don't believe it's apocryphal. A preacher asked Spurgeon how he could platform himself to be in a large church. And Spurgeon responded to him that that small church will be more than enough on Judgment Day. Yeah. 
I never felt put down because I was pastoring a small church. It was God's church, and he privileged me to be pastor of it. Wonderful experience. Lido, Texas was almost 100 years old. I left a church that had had four pastors in three years. I stayed there four years. And then I moved from that little church, running about 150 in Sunday school, went from there to a church almost 100 years old. I had no former history in the other church that I had to deal with. Going to a church 100 years old, you deal with the history of the church. That's always been Mr. White's seat. Don't anybody else take Mr. White's seat. When small church, it doesn't matter. You, you can sit anywhere you want to. Well, the reality is that most of our men are going to be called to small churches. I mean, that's just the reality of pastoral ministry. As I, I have a look in the tri-state area, churches with either pastoral vacancies or an aging pastorate, I'm deeply burdened with the Lord about those positions being filled and those churches remaining healthy. And it's going to take young men answering the call to go to some of these out-of-the-way places and continuing to shepherd God's flock. Yeah, God never forgets where he puts us. And when he's ready for you to move, he'll let you know. I can honestly say with good conscience, I never tried to move from a church. Never. I always knew when it was time. I would go home and say to Nancy, I have a strange feeling in my soul. She'd say, well, we're getting ready to move, aren't we? I said, well, I think so. Hmm. So, But I never tried to leave a church. And I never tried to go but to one church. And that was... <laughs> That was a disaster for me, not for them. <laughs> well, Dr. Sullivan, you have served so faithfully in Florida. And one of my personal mentors, Dr. Charles Rossell, served First Baptist Church of Leesburg. And in your time serving in, as the executive director in Florida, you, you got to serve with some of the greatest pastors and preachers our nation's ever known. Oh, yeah. What are some qualities that you saw in them that God greatly used? Stick with it. Stay with it. I think of Ken Whitten down at Idlewild. I think the first five years Ken was at Idlewild, they moved three times before they finally came to a permanent place. And then they outgrew the permanent place and had to build a bigger place. I watched him as he went through that scenario. Ted Trader over at Olive Baptist Church in Pensacola which may be one of our leading churches in the Southern Baptist Convention and will soon be up to a million dollars cooperative program. Ted came and followed a pastor who had been there quite a while, Jerry Passmore, who came to my staff. And he's been there now 34 years. So it's staying with it. The longer you can stay, the healthier the church is going to be when you leave in all likelihood. Now, I know that changes. I know that uh, churches can come to the place that they see the pastor needs to go. At least somebody in the church thinks he needs to go. But mostly when a pastor is doing what he ought to do, he can leave with some dignity. That's an incredible statement. Generally, you said the longer you stay, the healthier the church will be when you go. Yes. And the person that comes in makes a big mistake when he tries to change everything the first year. That's the biggest mistake when they follow these preachers in larger churches. The biggest mistake is they think they have to change things, and uh, you don't. 
You don't have to stay with everything either, but you don't try to change everything in one year. If you do, you're going to wreck it. Well, Dr. Sullivan, you are an incredible preacher. Anyone who's ever heard Dr. Sullivan preach, you know that he is a lion in the pulpit. What have you done to develop your preaching? Take advantage of every opportunity of study that I could find. Listen to good preachers. In fact, I have to tell you, I have preached some of their sermons. Listen to good preachers. I love to listen to Chris Will. Still do, as a matter of fact. Have on my desk now some of his stuff that I want to listen to all over again. You don't have to mimic anybody. You have to be who you are. You have to be how God made you. And public speaking has always been an easy thing for me. Since speech class as a junior in high school, I learned that public speaking was an easy thing for me to do. Now, for lots of folks, public speaking is not an easy thing at all. So every opportunity I had, a conference, Ridgecrest, Glorietta, every opportunity I had, I went to hear good preaching and good Bible teaching. Then before I knew it, I was doing some of the preaching. I was doing some of the teaching at Ridgecrest and Glorietta. So listen to good preachers. Listen to what they have to say and listen to how they say it. Now, I understand that some people are more gifted than other people when it comes to speaking. I understand that. But God's not going to call anyone that he does not equip to do what he needs to do. If God calls you to go, he's going to give you the gas to get there. So as a result, find out what you can do with public speaking and then shore it up, make it better. Conferences, any training you can get in public speaking and preaching, you ought to take advantage of. I've always believed in taking advantage of anything that will help me be a better preacher. And listen to your wife. She'll help you become a better preacher. My wife was my greatest critic, but the greatest love that I've ever had in my life. So listen to what she has to say. She will hear things that you say that other people in the congregation won't hear. And so Nancy was very quick to listen to my sermons, and she's very quick to give me advice on how I could improve my sermons. That's a great insight. The reality is probably no one has listened to my preaching more than my wife. Oh. And so she has this catalog of sermons. And you're totally right about that. I can recall specific conversations of great encouragement most of the time, but then also incidents where she pointed out some things about for improvement or, or encouragement to build or get stronger. That's, that's a great insight, Dr. Sullivan. When you're preaching, don't look so mean. <laughs> you just have to take advantage of every opportunity. Read good books. Read good books of sermons. Now, I have to confess, I have trouble reading Spurgeon. He just goes on and on and on. I don't know how he gets so much out of one text. I love his stuff, but I have trouble reading him. There's a biography written on Spurgeon. Of course, there were after he died, there were more biographies written on him than anyone else. And it was an, an older biography, The Life of Spurgeon, The World's Greatest Preacher. That's a humble title, isn't it? It was written just a few years after he passed away. 
I have a copy of it right here in front of me, but I bought a reprinted edition of that because this copy was well over 100 years old. It actually references the many bodily healings that were connected to Spurgeon's ministry. But it is old enough that Dirk Sullivan, I like you, have found it very difficult to read. And I was reading a couple books a week, and this one has put a halt to it because it's so <laughs> difficult to read. <laughs> so it said in the Florida Baptist Witness that when you were announcing your retirement, that you led the Florida Baptist with three core principles, evangelism without apology, planting New Testament churches, and developing healthy churches and church leaders. You were talking about Ted Trailer. Dr. Trailer is a friend. He came to preach for me in West Virginia, and he always spoke so very highly of Dr. Jerry Passmore. And then Dave Burton, your uh, state director of evangelism, was a is a dear friend of mine, and he always spoke very highly of Dr. Passmore. I know that there's an incredible emphasis there on evangelism, and that's one thing that we want to encourage among our listeners. And so how can pastors lead their churches to be effective in evangelism? The pastor first has to be excellent in evangelism. It all moves from the top. If I'm not out winning souls, my folks are not going to be out winning souls. At least most of them. Some of them will. Some of them are naturally born soul winners. I remember in my first church, 27th Avenue Baptist Church in Phoenix, Arizona, I was trying to build a visitation ministry, evangelistic visitation ministry. And I had this man named Jack Coons. Jack was a new Christian on fire. So he said to me, take me with you when you go visiting. I want to learn how to do it. So I took him. He paid attention. I think he went with me maybe three or four times. And then on the fifth time, he said, I don't need to go with you anymore. I need to get someone to go with me and you get someone else to go with you. Now, this is a layman whose job was to wash milk cans at a dairy. And he was simply saying to me, I know how to do it. There's no use of both of them. Now, this was still a very small church at the time. And so we divided our potential and we grew it. <laughs> we had four rather than two. And then uh, he did the very same thing I did with him. He trained someone. That's the way we did it. Now, evangelism door-to-door is harder to do now in the city. I don't know whether it's harder to do in the smaller communities or not. I suspect it's not nearly as difficult. It's nearly impossible in Jacksonville, Florida, to do door-to-door evangelism anymore. You have to wait until that person makes some kind of contact with your church so that you have a reason to call on them. We do things here at First Baptist like Trunk of Treat, which is a big evangelistic emphasis for us so we can get names and prospects. And so that's one of the things that I would encourage our preachers to do. Get the folks in touch with your church, but take somebody with you. People are not going to learn soul winning automatically. Now, some people are just better at it than others. David Burton is one of the best witnesses. I've ever known in my life. He'll witness to a telephone post. I mean, he just, that's his whole modus operandi. And so find the person that wants to learn and show him everything you know about winning people to faith in Christ and then duplicate it. 
That's the best system I've ever devised. At a church I served, we were going door to door in Charleston, West Virginia. And I had a group of people and they'd spread out among the community and opened the gate, went up to the door, knocked on the door. And I heard a dog that was barking that that it sounded like it could eat a lion for lunch. And so I turned around and ran because I thought I'm going to be eaten by this dog and it's coming around the house. And I was younger and more athletic at the time. And I jumped the fence. And as I'm jumping the fence and look, all the people were that had come with me were practically laying in the street laughing at me. And I turned around and looked, and here come this three-legged dog limping around the house. But I was confident this dog was going to eat me alive. <laughs> yeah, I've had about every experience you can have knocking on doors. But I tell you, if you don't go after them, I say to folks all the time, you have no right to expect anybody to come to your church. But everybody has a right to expect you to come to them. Amen. That's a God-given right, the church going out to others. Amen. Amen. Wow. That's powerful. That is. And I've heard someone say this, so it's not original with me, but in the current culture, to give time to something is truly a gift in today's culture. And, and you you mentioned this earlier about time is a precious commodity these days. And so to just expect, you know, build it and they will come. No, there's people aren't so willing to give their time to things today. There's got to be a, a connection, a going out after and and then, you know, a, a wooing in. I was growing rather rapidly in the church. And so I asked Dr. Vaughn at the seminary, when do you build a new auditorium? He said, when you have two evening worship services, then you build a new auditorium. Right. <laughs> I thought, well, it's not time yet. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> so recently a podcast came out about what happened at First Baptist Church, Jacksonville, Florida. What an incredible podcast. And I'm so thankful for Dr. Lambert, not just what he shared, but how he shared it. I thought he did such a gracious job in handling that. You were referenced several times in that podcast, and actually uh, we're on the podcast. If we were to summarize, and this is, of course, a very general, a big generalization, but it seems as though First Baptist Church Jacksonville didn't adapt to continue to engage its community with the gospel. What advice would you give to pastors to help them keep their churches on track as the world around them is ever-changing? Don't ever change the gospel to suit the world. Change the world to suit the gospel. All preachers need to do is preach and love people, and church growth will take care of itself. God builds the church, not the pastor. The pastor leads, but God does the building of the church. And you can't do that if you don't know what's happening around you. What happened at First Baptist happened rather quickly before most people realized it was even happening. But the largest homeless population in the city of Jacksonville surround this church. We have homelessness on every street around us. And we weren't prepared for that. That was not true 10 years ago. It was not true. At one time, the only show in town was First Baptist Church. But now, People who live out in the suburbs will pass two churches, three churches that are growing because they're in the suburbs. They're not going to continue to drive downtown. 
And we still have an evening worship service, but folks don't drive downtown who are older people to the evening worship service. They can't. We have good security, but you have to be extremely cautious. So I would say, know what's happening around you. Try to know what's going on in the culture around you and try to love those people who are going to get caught up in some of the deep changes in the culture, the layoffs, whatever it might be, change of school, superintendent. So know what's going on around you and minister to what's going on, not what you think ought to be going on. Appalachia is a difficult place to serve. Do you have any encouragement for pastors to help them remain faithful? My problem is I never pastored in Appalachia. In fact, I was not even saved when I left Appalachia. So I'm at a real disadvantage in knowing. But what I would simply say to pastors, you be faithful to preach the word of God in the situation where God has put you. Now, I mean that seriously. If you're in the wrong situation, try to get out of it. And you know when you're in the right situation, when you're in the wrong situation. God has protected me across the years. And always the situation I've gone to is the one I knew he wanted me in. So the first thing I would say is be faithful to the preaching of the Bible. Be faithful to the preaching of the Bible. Be faithful to your wife. Be faithful to your wife. There's absolutely too much of this. As the executive director of the Florida Baptist Convention, the least desirable task that I had to do was to step in and referee fights between a pastor and his wife because of infidelity. Tasteless. Don't understand it. So I would say be faithful to your family. Be faithful to your church. Be faithful to the preaching of the gospel. And God will take care of you. I I know that. I know God will take care of you. I, I remember one Christmas we were in college with a child. We didn't even have a dollar to spend for Christmas for our child. That was a tough, tough time. I went to the mailbox about a week before Christmas, and there was an envelope from the Lover's Leap Baptist Church close to Anstead, West Virginia. I had preached a revival there that past summer, and money had come in after I had left, and they failed to send it. And they sent it, and I got it a week before Christmas. Now, somebody said, well, that's coincidental. No, that's providence. God will take care of his people. He will. I didn't have a job. I was a shoe salesman. I saw a brand-new store, Tom McCann, on the fastest corner in Phoenix. I went in and applied for a job, and the manager said, can you sell shoes? I said, give me a month, and I'll sell more than anybody else on this floor. He said, okay, I'm going to hire you. And a month later, he said, sure enough, you were the top salesman last week. So whatever you have to do, I've been bivocational twice. Bivocationalism is tough. And I would imagine some of your preachers are bivocational. There again, it's the time frame of bivocational that always got me. I've stayed up a lot of Saturday nights finishing a sermon. 
because I worked on Saturday from nine o'clock to nine o'clock at selling shoes. So I know bivocationalism can be tough, real tough. Be faithful. That's the key. And don't try to move yourself. Let God do that. You're his. You're his. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. So I would simply say the encouragement I would have, I've been at it now 68 years, wouldn't want to do anything else. Wouldn't know how to do anything else. And I love being a preacher. I love being called pastor. So that would be my encouragement. Dr. Sullivan, if you don't mind me asking, you said you've done ministry for 68 years. How old are you? <laughs> 39. 39. Okay. That's, that's what I thought. I thought you had to be at least 38. Yeah. <laughs> I, next month, I will be 87. And you still work every day? Every day. And I'm still excited about it every day. I don't know how anyone cannot be excited about ministry, where you're meeting the need of another person's life. That's what Christ was all about, meeting the need of a life. And that's what I want to be about, meeting needs. Dr. Rossell always says, Matt, if you will meet the needs of people, you will never lack for a people to preach to. Oh, yeah, that's true. And Charles did a great job. He probably did more in personal ministry than just about any pastor we had. I mean, he was before his time with social, uh, what we call social ministries with the hospital and this and that and the other. That's what Trailer does at Olive. Everybody in Pensacola, I think, knows Ted Trailer when they see him. He is very involved in the life of the community as well as being involved in the life of his church. He's like you. You're 87. He's in his 80s. And anytime I call, he's working on the farm. He's telling me about where he's preaching, how many people he's won to faith in Christ, a new way he's come up with to share Jesus. And so he is just going strong, strong, strong. Dr. Sullivan, thank you so much for taking this time uh, with us and investing in pastors in Appalachia. I'm glad to do it. And sometime when you have some conference of some kind, invite me and I'll come up and uh, spend some time with you. Don't try to move yourself. Let God do that. That piece of advice from Dr. John Sullivan is to be heeded by every young or even not so young preacher. If we prayerfully and dutifully keep our ministry efforts and desires pointed at God's will for our lives, we will find ourselves in the right place. Dr. John Sullivan has 68 years of ministry under his belt, and hearing his testimony is a real treasure. If you're struggling to find where you're supposed to be in ministry, or if you know of a man who could find some help in Dr. Sullivan's story, share this podcast. And as always, Rex Howe and Dr. Matt Shamlin are standing by to help with encouragement and ministry resources. Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute exist as a resource. And no matter what need you may have, Rex Howe and Dr. Matt Shamlin want you to reach out to them today. Rex Howe is the president of Tri-State Bible College, and you can contact him by email at rex.howe at tsbc.edu. And you can reach out to Dr. Matt Shamblin at the Appalachian Ministry Institute by email 
mats.shamblin at tsbc.edu. The Level Paths Podcast is an outreach of Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute.